Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. From the Gert Boyle studio at OPB, this is Think Out Loud. I'm Dave Miller. The United Auto Workers are the latest union to join what's been called the Summer of Strikes. Hollywood writers and actors are continuing their strikes, and several Northwest unions have mounted strikes in recent months as well, from teachers to nurses to bookstore employees to strippers. Meanwhile, Oregon's unemployment rate is as low as it's ever been, at 3.4%. Of course, that just counts people who want to be in the workforce to begin with. Mark Brenner joins us to talk about all of this. He is the co-director of the Labor Education and Research Center at the University of Oregon. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dave. Great to be here. What's the connection between the pandemic and the profusion of labor management conflicts that I just outlined? And that was a partial list. Well, I'll use one example. The nurses up at the Oregon Health Sciences University are uh, about to take a strike vote to authorize uh, a potential labor action on the Hill. And um, I've talked to many nurses up there, and the phrase I keep hearing them use is, uh, we went from heroes to zeros, right? During the height of the pandemic, uh, people were on their porches, banging pots and pans, celebrating the work we were doing often, uh, you know, without sufficient PPE or, you know, definitely not with sufficient staff. And uh, as soon as the crisis ebbs, uh, we're forgotten and we're treated as if we're disposable. And um, I think that is true in many, many uh, frontline workplaces where people worked during the through throughout the pandemic. Essential workers felt that they were sort of um, an afterthought after the crisis uh, sort of subsided, so to speak. And I think people are fed up and tired. Um, what about, say, uh, white collar workers or workers, if that, that phrase maybe is, is less helpful, but workers who, by virtue of their jobs, could work all or partly at home during much of the pandemic. That's, that's a different work situation. Where, where do you see the effects of that time on labor issues now? I think two things that we see uh, with people that maybe have a little bit more flexibility in their schedule. One is I think a lot of people uh, ask themselves, uh, is this really how I want to live my life uh, in terms of the amount of hours they're spending working or both uh, uh, spouses working um, full-time jobs and you know trying to juggle family responsibilities for their kids? And we saw a huge exodus from the labor market for people who were like, mm, I'm not doing this anymore. And I think um, people have just gotten a lot more choosy about what they're willing to spend their time on. And I think it also really – I've seen a lot of folks who have started to look back over the long view – uh, about where their careers have taken them for the last, not just the last five years, but the last 10 or 15 or 20 years. Um, and uh, people are really not happy with the, tra tra with the trajectory of a lot of their, you know, the pay and benefits over that time compared with, say, what the average CEO is making. So what do you think specific work-life balance expectations? I mean, what does that mean in terms of asks of management? Well, obviously, uh, cost of living has been skyrocketing uh, face for, for all of us, but certainly those of us that are on the lower rungs of the income distribution uh, bear that brunt more and feel it um, more uh, acutely than those at the top. And I think people are starting to ask, um, you know, why am I falling behind, especially folks who, are, who were working uh, throughout the pandemic, when, you know, I 
sacrifice so much to keep your operations going. And so I think uh, just the combination of all the uncertainty that went into the early stages of the pandemic with now the um, sort of cost pressures that we've seen with the the last year and a half of inflation uh, have really led people to say, like, this is it. You know, I need I need more. Do better. One of the things that we've heard in recent years, as employers tried to hire reluctant workers, um, either back or or just to, to hire them, um, was that, that they had to increase salaries to to do that. But have salaries kept up with inflation? I certainly not at the lower end of the of the labor market. Um, you are seeing uh, this. This problem manifests itself in so many different places, Dave. Uh, I, I can just say, like, for one example that jumps to mind is um, I was talking to folks that work as um, paraprofessionals and classroom aides in Portland Public Schools um, earlier this year. And they were saying, why would I take this job, which is highly stressful, you know, um, physical? Um, sometimes um, we've got kids that um, act out and, you know, we're at risk of getting hit, scratched, bitten, when I can make more money working at Plaid Pantry. Um, it just doesn't add up. And so we've we've really seen the squeeze uh, uh, in a lot of jobs, which historically have paid better than the minimum wage, but the floor has just really shot up. Um, and I think it's um, it's affecting a whole swath of um, uh, of of our labor market locally. I'm glad you brought up the I mean, for, for two things. One, I should say that, that assuming that the Portland Public School, negotiations don't very quickly um, figure themselves out. We will be talking more about that in, in the coming weeks. But in terms of the minimum wage, obviously there's the federal minimum wage. Some states, including Oregon, um, have their own that are higher. But then there's the effective minimum wage that's that's more just based on on the market. What do you see as for, say, for service sector jobs right now, many of which used to actually be tied to the 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 floor the wage floor that was required what do you see in practice these days well i don't know have you gone out to eat in a restaurant in the last two months i mean everywhere um we're seeing the effects of um the sort of shortfall between cost of living and what it takes to actually um, keep a roof over your head in this city and what you can earn in an entry-level job and i think um, the short staffing we're seeing in the service sector is not a reflection. I mean, the employers will say, oh, nobody wants to work. We can't find anybody. You can't find anybody to work at the wages that you're paying. If you were paying better wages, you you know, the staff would appear. That's no question. And and what it, what do you think that number is broad? I mean, obviously, everybody's situation is the same. But I mean, a couple of years ago, $15 was, was a kind of national rallying cry. Is there a, a different number now? Oh, I think if you look, um, I mean, I'm seeing signs on... I was uh, in Klamath Falls uh, a couple weeks ago, and I saw on my way there in Medford uh, McDonald's advertising $18 an hour. So I think that uh, what I've seen is somewhere between 18 and 20 as what employers are, are um, offering to get people in the door. And I think that um, really tells us kind of where the entry-level wages are uh, in, the, in the sort of uh, Portland metro for sure and probably across the state. Do the economic to, to go back to your example of a paraprofessional in Portland public schools looking at that and saying I I, I could if if I'm going to make I could make more at a job that requires less of means in some ways and um, does is the market responsive enough to over time actually take that into account and raise the wages of people who who are doing those different kinds of skilled jobs. 
I think that the last two decades makes it really clear that the answer is no. Uh, and I think that's why uh, you know union favorability is at a you know fifty year high, and people are starting to form unions in all kinds of uh, atypical, non traditional segments of the work of the workforce. You know whether it's donut workers or strippers, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, I think that's because people are recognizing this is not going to take care of itself on its own. We've got to do something. Where do you think automation fits into this? And I'm grouping there. I'm thinking about AI as a as a n- new and in some ways unknown version of this, but also older versions of just machines physically doing people's jobs, which has been with us for a very long time in in different ways. But how does that fit into this conversation? Oh, I think this is at the heart of a couple of the labor actions that you mentioned at the beginning. Um, uh, The writer's strike um, in Hollywood is absolutely about what what role is technology, particularly AI, going to play in the future of that industry. And the auto strike, you know, obviously they're on the picket line in part because the big three made $20 billion in the first six months of this year, and they haven't really been uh, seeing their share of that. But it's also about where is um, where is the unionized workforce in the uh, big three going to, gonna what role are they going to play in the future of the electric vehicle industry? Um, and are we going to be able to set union standards uh, in those new and emerging segments of the automobile industry? You know, most of what we have been talking about is our national trends. But do you see any distinctively Northwest pieces to this right now? I th- I'm an optimist for, for our region, uh, Dave, and I think that there's a lot to, um, to be excited about in terms of where growth uh, in the labor market is going to come from and where rising standards are going to um, uh, fit in there. I think that all of the investments that we're seeing from the bipartisan infrastructure law and the um, uh, Inv- Inflation Reduction Act uh, are going to be huge for the state of Oregon, and obviously the Chips Act is going to uh, be e- enormous uh, for this region. Even though you know there was a lot of hand wringing over the plant that got that's getting built in Ohio, we're we're going to see a ton of um, investment in that sector in Oregon. So I think that though to me those are I see those programs as having an outsized impact on our region. Hmm. We just have about a minute left, but what sectors do you think right now have the biggest disconnect? between employee expectations and employer offers? I think healthcare has got to be number one on my list. Um, I've never seen frontline healthcare workers um, more pessimistic about uh, their prospects in the in the industry and uh, staying in the field of healthcare. Uh, I think the poll I saw most recently from OHSU was that 62% of frontline healthcare workers are considering leaving the field uh, because of short staffing, because of inadequate pay, because of um, just all of the experiences they had during the pandemic. Um, so I would have to say healthcare is our biggest um, uh, worry right now as a sector where there's a disconnect between what's going on in the ground and where the workforce is. Mark Brenner, thanks very much. Thank you, Dave. Great to be here. Mark Brenner is the co-director of the Labor Education and Research Center at the University of Oregon. He joined us to talk about both regional and nationwide labor issues as the so-called summer of strikes is about to enter the fall.